If you have your Bibles tonight, please open them to John chapter 17. John's chapter 17. We're going to continue our series in Luke tonight, but I found this scripture today and I, I just really feel like, I was like, Lord, I'm going to make it work with my message because I just loved it. And um, this is one you're familiar with, but it's going to lead us to another one that's just really been in my heart. John chapter 17, verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. When I decided to do the Luke study, I was really tempted to just do a study on the words in red. Because I think sometimes we diminish the things that Jesus spoke. We have them memorized. We, we don't think much of them. And, but I, I really want you to see that these words are in red. They're spoken by Jesus himself. And who knows that Jesus means what he says. Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. That word eternal is fascinating to me. It means perpetual. It means ongoing life. I just want to tell you that eternal life does not begin when we get to heaven, when we step over into glory. That is not the beginning of eternal life. Eternal life is not found in a prayer that you pray. It's not found in church attendance or in walking the aisle. Eternal life, says Jesus himself, is that we know him. It's found in knowing him. We don't have to wait until heaven to, to, to enjoy eternal life. It's fullness of life, a, a fullness of life that's unending, the, the Greek definition says. Stephen Baker says eternal life can be understood as a state of existence given and sustained by God in which a person remains in permanent, unending fellowship with him. You see, eternal life is not about going to a place. It's not about living forever. Can I, can I tell you, I have news for you that everyone here in this room tonight, whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, you are going to live forever. The, the question is, where? Whether it's in heaven with Jesus or in hell, eternal, eternal, everlasting torment. Separate it from the glory of God. It's your choice. But you will live forever. Where you live is up to you. But that's not even what eternal life is because we are all going to have e eternal life. But Jesus says, this is the eternal life I want you to have, that you may know me. Eternal life is not about a destination. It's about life that's experienced in relationship, hear me say, in relationship with the giver and the sustainer of life. Do you know my Jesus? John 3.16, a verse that we all have memorized, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but what? have eternal, everlasting life. It's why he came. He wants us to have life and have it in abundance. Can I tell you, life is not found in a bottle. 
Life is not found in a drug. Life is not found in a sexual relationship. Life is not found in the best friendship. Life is not found in a bigger house, a nicer car, more money in the bank. Life is found, says Jesus himself, in knowing him. It's found in fellowship and in union with him. This is eternal life, says Jesus, that we may know him. It's where we find life. We find life gazing on the Lamb of God, spending time in his presence. Today I read John 3, 36. Just turn over there. This is the verse I really wanted to, to get to tonight. John 3, verse 36. I, I just saw this today and I saw it. I've read this chapter numerous times. I called Dave down to my office and I said, Davey, do you know this scripture? Why don't I know this scripture? And, and, and listen to it. John 3, 36. Hmm. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's what I, I hadn't seen before. I, I understood that, that whoever has the Son of God and whoever believes in him has eternal life. I knew that scripture, but what I, what I was missing all of these years was the part that says whoever does not obey the Son, somebody say obey. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. You're not going to experience life if you're not walking a life that's in obedience to, to God and to his word. You say, oh, Rhea, here we go with that obedience stuff again. I read a quote this week that said, a man cannot be subject to a kingdom whose laws he refuses allegiance. When Dave moved here from the United Kingdom, he moved to the United States. What would happen if he continued to drive on the other side of the road? It would be disaster, wouldn't it? But he understood that if he was going to be a part of this kingdom, he had to abide by the rules and the laws of this kingdom. A man cannot be subject to a kingdom whose laws he refuses allegiance. Obedience matters. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, says Jesus again. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Some of you are wondering why you're not experiencing life, why, why you have one issue after another in your life, why life is so hard. I'm going to encourage you. I know it's not a popular message, but I want to encourage you to, to examine your heart, to look at your life and say, is there a place of outright disobedience in my life? And is that, could that possibly be the reason I'm not experiencing life? Because Jesus says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. He who does not obey, that word obey, it means, uh, does not obey, it means to disobey, to rebel, to be disloyal, to refuse conformity. It, it comes from a word meaning to disbelieve. Oh, can I tell you that every time I disobey God, and I do, it's because I don't actually believe him or his word. It, it's more than that. It's the realization that my disobedience is rebellion. It's rebellion. It's me being disloyal to him. Ask anybody who, who, who's in my close circle of friends. Le Leslie, what is the one thing that's really important to me in friendship? Loyalty. I, I didn't feed her. She knows that. Ask my team on Monday night. They will tell you loyalty is everything to me. 
I will love you. I will be good to you. But I find out you've been disloyal to me, dear one. (laughs) Oh, baby. Because loyalty, faithfulness is a mark of a Christian. We are called to be loyal and faithful to God. He is faithful to us. The Bible says that even when I am unfaithful to him, he is faithful to me because he will not deny himself. It's who he is. Loyalty is important to me. And and so when I was reading that scripture and I read that when I disobey God, I'm being disloyal to me, I'm like, Lord, how can I put a bigger standard on my own life and the people in my life to be loyal to me? And yet when I disobey you, I'm being disloyal to you. It rocked my world because I, I know how important loyalty is to me. I was thinking today about the word fidelity, and I I looked it up because it was just, it was in my head. The Lord just kept talking. He just kept speaking that word into my mind, fidelity, fidelity. And, and, And so finally, I got a dictionary, and I looked up the word, and it says, faithfulness to a person, a cause, or a belief demonstrated by continual loyalty and support. I'm just telling you, I had to stop and say, Lord, am I being faithful to you? Is there infidelity in my relationship with you? Am I being disloyal to you and to your word? Because I'm telling you, even when I am unfaithful, he will be faithful to me because he cannot deny himself. And I said to Leslie, I'm realizing that I deserve nothing from him and yet he lavishes everything on me. He lavishes me. I can't tell you how many people I have seen just this past couple weeks that that go to God because they want something from him. They don't really have a relationship with him. They don't really have time for him. They want something from him. Lord, can you fix this issue I have in my life? Can you take care of my child? Can you do this thing for me? But what happens when God doesn't do that thing? We get disgruntled with God, don't we? You didn't respond the way I wanted you to respond. And we withdraw and we we, uh, are disloyal to him as a result. It's all about what we want from him. I have two, uh, 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 I have three beautiful children, but two grandchildren in Minneapolis. And I was talking to my daughter-in-law this week because I was studying this passage. And as I was talking to her, she was feeding my, my, my two-and-a-half-month-old granddaughter. And, and, and she had her at the breast, and she was feeding her. And I said, Betsy, I just love that, that, that Frankie comes to you, and, and she doesn't crawl up on your lap, that you scoop her up. And and you give her what she needs to sustain her and to give her life. She doesn't have any way of asking you for that. She doesn't come to you. But then there's sweet little Alton. And and he is tough. And he's a strong boy. And he is independent. But but she sent me a picture this week of him nuzzled up beside her on her lap, just squeezed into into her chest. And I thought to myself, you see, Alton doesn't need to come to her for milk. He doesn't need to come to her to to sustain life that way. He's perfectly capable of crawling up on the counter and getting whatever he wants to eat. But he comes to her from choice because he he wants her. 
comes for comfort. He comes for relationship. He comes just to be known. And he crawls up and nuzzles in. And can I just tell you, some of you are coming to God because you just need what he can give you. Because you need to get through the next moment. You need life and it's temporary, but you got to keep coming back. But he wants you to, to, to understand that, that, that there's relationship that he wants to build with you. He wants you to nuzzle into him, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you understand the, the comfort and the beauty of his presence. Do you understand the beauty of his presence? Eternal life does not begin the moment you die. It's as soon as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And even though it includes life and eternity, it's spending time getting to know him. This is eternal life, that you know me, he says. And we get to know him sitting at his feet, learning of him, experiencing him. Some of you say, well, I know Jesus. I know President Biden. I can give you a lot of facts about President Biden. I can give you a lot of details about President Biden, but, but I don't know President Biden. We, we don't have a relationship. I can identify him. I can see him from afar. I know who he is. I know what he's about, but can I just tell you, I don't know him. And some of you are sitting here tonight and you say you know Jesus. And it's because you've gone to church. You've checked it off your list. You were raised in Sunday school. You know a lot of facts about him, but you don't know Jesus. And can I just tell you, this is eternal life, that you know him. And that word know that he uses there is the exact same word that was used in Genesis, where it says that Adam knew Eve and they conceived a child, conceived Cain. The knowing produced an offspring. Uh, knowing, just knowing about somebody doesn't produce children. There's an intimacy, there's a union, are you following me, that brings forth children. <laughs> and it's, an inner, it's a deep knowing, if you know what I mean. That's the word Jesus uses when he says, this is eternal life. This, dear one, is how you experience life in abundance. It's not in a bottle. It's not in a person. It's not in, 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 in a, a high-paying job. It's not a notoriety. It's not an accomplishment. It is that you know Jesus and you know him intimately and deeply. Do you know Jesus? It's not intellectual knowledge. It's not about facts about him. It's knowing him in the most intimate way possible. It's the reason Jesus came. He didn't come just to get you to heaven or rescue you because you were a sinner. He came to restore relationship. The Bible says he came to tear down the dividing wall of hostility between God and us. It's not about knowing the Bible. It's not about knowing scriptures. It's not about what Jesus did on the cross. It's about knowing him. It's about sitting at his feet, basking in his presence. It's about intentionally seeking a one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. And that's what gets us life. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 10, where we're going to pick back up in our study of Luke. Luke chapter 10, a very familiar story. But I pray that it falls on uh, fresh ears and pierces your heart like no other. Luke chapter 10, 
verses 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that he, Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also, don't miss that word also, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. For those of you that don't know, Dave and I have seven children, and most of those children are married, and some of them have children, and we have a really full house when everybody is together, and I love it. Like, I live for those moments when everybody is home and everybody is together. Just recently, we were all together for Christmas. It's a big deal for me. I, I actually start planning Christmas like in June and July. We buy for so many, so many people that I have to start shopping that early or I can't pay for all my gifts. And so I, I start getting their Christmas list May, June, and, and, and I start shopping for them. And I plan my, my, my menu out. I have it all written down. I have my grocery list made out. I, I make sure all the, the house is decorated just so I can hardly wait till they get there. Sometimes I put flowers in their bedrooms because I just want them to know I'm so glad they're there. And I just, I love it. I, I live for it. I lose sleep at night because I'm planning uh, for it. And, and I'm just busy. I, I, I just love it. And, and when they're there, I just want to make them comfortable. And I, I want to make them happy. And I, wanna, I want them to know that I'm so glad they're there. And so I make it special, and, and I'm busy cooking all the time. And, and, and when you have that many people, as soon as you finish a meal, you're starting to cook for the next meal. And, and then we're baking, and I want to make cookies with the grandchildren. And it's just, I'm busy, okay? And, and, and I, I don't need to be sitting on top of them and spending time. I, I just want to be in the same room with them. Anybody with me? I love mamas. You're going to understand this. Not so much daddies, but mamas, you're going to understand this. I love hearing them laugh and, and play games together. And I just I love it. I, can, I don't need to be in the midst of it. I just love listening to them. And I love seeing them have fun together. And I, I just love it. And a couple years ago, one of my daughters came to me and said, Mama, we love that you do all this for us. <laughs> and, and, but can you just come sit down? And, and, and they said, you know what? We don't need you to cook. We love your food, but we, don't need, we can order pizza, Mama. And all these gifts, I, I, we're so grateful for them, but we don't need gifts. Here's what we want, Mama. We want you. Could you just come sit down and spend some time with us? We, we love to be with you. And I'm like, you what? I'm here. I'm here. Look at all this I'm doing for you. <laughs> I love you. And they're like, and we know that, but we want to be with you. And it was in that moment that I started learning the difference between being present and being present. 
And I began to work in my life. You know, I, I see it all the time. The people that are together, husbands and wives, I, somebody's on their, their Facebook page. and They're sitting in the same car. They're even at dinner together. And they're going through their Facebook pages and their Instagram. And, and they're taking phone calls from work and returning text messages. And I want to say, present. Be present. Do you have any wonder why your marriage is in deep, deep doo-doo? You're not even together. You're in the same room, but you are not present. That's what my kids were saying to me. We love that you're doing this, but you're not present. The story that we're reading tonight, Martha gets a bad rap, doesn't she? People always say, oh, you're, you're being a Martha. There, there was nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. In fact, Scripture tells us in Romans to make sure that we practice hospitality and meet the needs of the saints. There was nothing wrong with Martha serving. Do you understand that Jesus searched out that home? They were good friends. He stayed with, with Martha and Mary in Bethany. Probably because they made him feel so welcome. Probably because he could get a good meal. <laughs> Martha was busy, but she wasn't present. Mary was present, and we see, uh, we see the difference here in Scripture. Can I just tell you that busyness can distract us from being present? It's easy to be busy about the things of God and not be present with him. And that's what we see in this passage. Look at verse 38. Now it happened that as they went to a certain village, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her, into her house. I want you to see that certain village, Bethany. That word Bethany means house of misery or house of depression. Notice that a certain woman named Martha opened her house to him. Some translation said welcomed him into her house. And can I just tell you, here's the secret to living victoriously in a house of misery. Here's the secret to, to overcoming a house of depression. Welcoming Jesus into the home of your heart. Welcoming him into your heart. Verses 39 through 40 says she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet. Don't miss that also. That tells me that Martha was sitting at his feet. She just was busy about other things. She was up and down and all over the place. And, and, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And, and she approached him and said, Lord, do not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. I, I, I read another translation this week that says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Listen to this. Mary sat attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated with finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. Kenneth Ryken, one of my favorite commentators, said, to sit at someone's feet implies not only attention, 
but also submission. I want you to see that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. She, she not only was there giving him her attention, she was ready to submit to him, ready to obey him. And she was submitted to him and to his ways. She was entrenched in what he was saying. She was absorbing every revelation uh, that, that he was giving, and she was eager to learn and willing to obey. I just She was devoted to Jesus. I wonder if that's you tonight. If, if you were sitting at his feet day in and day out, absorbed by him, wanting to receive revelation from him, devoted to him. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and so was Martha, but she was distracted by all there was to do. That word distracted means dragged away. Oh, can I just tell you, I really believe that Jesus said, Martha, <laughs> there's one thing that matters. One thing, that's it. That's one thing that's needed, Martha. And I think she understood that. And I think she positioned herself intending uh, to, to really focus on that one thing. I, I think her intentions were good. She was just distracted and dragged away by, by many things. And can I tell you that you and I have an enemy of our soul. And he comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And he understands the fellowship that, that we have with Jesus. He understands the life that is found in the presence of God because he once shared it. And now he's without it. And he understands when you get drug away and enticed by other things and, and, and the impact that it has on your life. And he has one goal and it's to keep you and I from the one thing. And the Bible says that he will drag us away and entice us out of that place. That's his goal. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, devoted to him. Martha was there too, but she was drug away and enticed. She was attracted to Jesus, but then got distracted from him. Martha's service to Jesus distracted her even though her intentions were good. She, she had so much she wanted to do for Jesus that she lost sight of him in it. Ministry was keeping her from Jesus. Can I tell you, I see it in churches today that we actually think that we are we're doing what I did for my children, loving them well by what we're doing for them, and yet we're not spending time with them. We're not present with them, and that's what happens with Jesus. We get so busy serving him that, that we forget him. We're so busy doing for him. I'm telling you, I believe it's the problem with the pulpits in the United States right now. Is it's become a place of, uh, I'm so busy growing this church. I'm so busy uh, studying the, the word that I've lost sight of the, 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 the author of that word. I'm drug away and enticed by, by growing a church. I'm drug away and enticed by, by, by getting bigger and better, and I've lost sight of the one I'm serving. Bill Johnson says, busyness, and hear this, can be artificial significance. I see this. Sometimes we find our significance in what we do for the Lord instead of relishing in what he's already done for us. At the core of our busyness uh, addiction is the need to feel significant, the longing for personal importance, the overwhelming urge to please others, to feel a sense of purpose. It's artificial significance. You're busy doing for him, but you're not sitting at his feet learning from him. You say, well, Rhea, I know Jesus. 
Well, Jesus himself said, in that day, many are going to profess to know him. But he says, I'm going to say away from me. I never knew you. We were never intimate. The enemy's goal is to distract us, to drag us away from his presence. He did it to Martha because the word says she was preoccupied and worried and troubled about many things. She was focused on earthly things, and as a response, she, was, she got worried and troubled, and she became exasperated. I want you to see the two different postures here. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she was exasperated, troubled, and worried. But, but Mary was sitting at his feet, not moved by anything. She was focused on him. My mom used to say, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy because he accomplishes the same thing. You say, well, Rhea, Martha was serving. Service is good. That's right. But it depends on the motive. Sometimes we love the work of the Lord more than we love the Lord of the work. Corey Ten Boom said, beware of busyness. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. And her words are still timely today. Martha's relationship with Jesus was based on what she was doing for him. She liked being around him, but she wasn't attentive to him. Mary was about being at his feet. She was at rest and focused on the one thing that mattered. Can I tell you? I, I'm, I'm going to get off my notes here, but I just want to just, Lord, just help me here. I, I'm really working on this in my life. I'm working on being purposeful about being with the Lord. I used to get up in the morning and the first thing I would do would be go to my kitchen table and sit with the Word of God and study. Maybe about, I don't know, six months ago, the Lord got me to a place where the first thing I do in the morning is grab my coffee and sit in front of the fireplace and spend time in prayer in the dark with the Lord, just focusing on his presence, asking him to make me aware of his presence, to give me an awareness, to draw me a little deeper, to take me a little higher with him. I want to know him. I, I don't want to know about him. I, I want to know him. The Bible says that the Israelites were, were acquainted with his deeds, but, but Moses knew his ways. And I, I don't just want to go to him because of his deeds and what he can do for me. I, I want to know him. I want to be familiar with his ways. I want to know all about him. I want an intimacy with him. Can I tell you, life is hard. And maybe your life isn't hard. My life is hard. It's hard. And I would get discouraged and I would lose hope if I didn't have that place to go in the morning where, where, where I was like, Lord, help me. I, Megan said it so beautifully tonight. Give me new eyes to see. I, my, my eyes are blurry here. I'm getting skewed in this world and I need to just refocus and Lord, take me to that place. And it happens with him. This is eternal life. Nobody, no circumstance, no issue, no trial, no tribulation, no heartache or heartbreak can keep you from that kind of life because it doesn't come from a person. It doesn't come from a circumstance. It doesn't come from any accomplishment. It comes from spending time with him and in his presence. This is eternal life, that you know me, that you're intimate with me, that you are connected with me. This passage that we read tonight is actually the first mention of Mary and Bethany, and, and it describes her that she sat at his feet 
listening to his words. The, the next uh, passage, the next mention of Mary in, in the scripture, it, it was when Jesus, uh, they, they called him, they called Jesus away because Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, was dying. And, and you'll recall that, that, that story. They sent word to Jesus, which tells me they knew exactly where Jesus was, which means they knew how long it was going to take for him to get to them. They sent a messenger to him, and they said, Jesus, the one you love, is dying. Now remember, Mary and Martha had seen what Jesus could do. They traveled with him. They had seen him heal blind eyes. They had seen him do the miraculous for perfect strangers. They were tight. They were buddies. And now in their time of need, they send a message to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. And what does Jesus do? The Bible says that he delayed two more days where he was. Now that doesn't feel like love, does it? So what do we do when, when we ask God to do something and he, he doesn't do it the way we think he should? We withdraw our love or we distance ourselves from him or we get angry with him. And so he delays uh, where he was two more days. Lazarus dies. He goes in, in, back to, into Bethany and, and, and he gets news that Lazarus dies. Martha comes running out and she says, you know, she's very accusatory and she says, if you had been here, Jesus... Our brother would not have died. Jesus is looking for Mary at that point. Martha goes back and says, Mary, Jesus is, is calling for you. Mary comes out, and what does she do? What's the first thing she does? The Bible says she falls at his feet. Here we see that position again. Remember, Riken says the feet, to sit at somebody's feet is a place of submission. I'm working on this. I really am working on this. That when God doesn't answer the way I think he should. When he doesn't come to my rescue like I want him to. That I learn to submit and say, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to question you. I'm learning, Jesus. That no matter what the place of life is at your feet, in your presence, it's the one thing I need. I, I don't need you to answer my prayer the way I want you to. I don't need you to fix my situation. I don't need you to make everything rosy for me. I just need to be at your feet because you say this is where I find life. This is where I can have eternal, perpetual, uninterrupted life. It's not going to be interrupted by circumstances. It's not going to be interrupted by pain. I can have life even when all hell is breaking loose around me because I have learned to fall in submission at your feet and say, I have learned, therefore, to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in because I've learned that this is God's will for me in Christ Jesus. Mm. I hate it. I hate it. Because God's will for me in Christ Jesus isn't always fun. It's not always comfortable. It is not always the way I would want it. But I've stopped fighting with him. And I've started to do what Mary did. I don't like it, Jesus. Her brother was dead. She was mourning. She even said if you had been here, her brother wouldn't have died. Nonetheless, I'm going to fall at your feet in worship. I'm going to fall at your feet in submission. The third place that we see Mary mentioned is where? Jesus is getting ready to die, and what does she do? 
she anoints his feet with very costly oil. She pours it all out. She, this is me. I, I'm a pastor's wife. <laughs> I would have given a dab here and a dab there. I would have been like, this is a lot of money. I need to just ration this. And Not Mary. She poured the whole thing out. Judas is there, you know, religious Judas. Judas, who walked with Jesus, was one of his disciples, or is a follower. Is <laughs> ticked that she would pour out that, that fragrance onto Jesus. But where, what position is she at when she does that? At his feet again. We see her at his feet, three different places. The only places that, that she is, is mentioned in Scripture. Eric Gilmore wrote this book. I've been reading some of his books lately. and He wrote this book, and I just want to read a quote from it. He says, in Matthew, I don't know if you know this scripture, but in Matthew, after Jesus, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with oil. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wait, Jesus. All these great people in the Bible, and you're saying that wherever the gospel is told, what Mary did is going to be told in memory of her. Eric Gilmore says this. This means that Jesus wanted Mary of Bethany to be remembered. If that's true, then she must be significant. Not only that, he tied the memory of her to the global spread of the gospel. At first, this bothered me because I thought to myself, she never preached a message. She never uh, taught a class. She never wrote a book. She never performed any miracles. She's only mentioned three times in Scripture. And I said, Lord, what could it be in this woman that would cause her to be tied to the testimony of your name for all time? What is so special to you? As I waited, he says, I heard his voice. He said, she loved me. It doesn't sound significant, does it? I thought, Lord, so many people have loved you. What makes her so different? I realized that God took me to this passage to show me the kind of love that she had, which separated her from so many others. The kind of love she had was intrinsic to the spread of the gospel. She never performed a miracle. She never preached a message. She's only mentioned three times in the gospel. But yet, Jesus is saying that he wanted her remembered. Why? Because she was lavishly devoted to him. She sat at his feet and learned from him. She fell at his feet in devotion. I, I just have so much more that I, I want I want to just say about this, but I, I want to get you out of here on time tonight. But you say, well, why did you choose this um, this message? Jesus said, Martha, you're busy, you're distracted by many things, you're worried, you're troubled. Here's the answer. One thing is needed. One thing. Not a better spouse, not a thinner body, not more money in the bank, not a bigger house, not more followers on social media, not a busier social life. 
one thing is needed. Jesus describes it as the good part. Fellowship with him. Learning from him. Submission to him. Sitting at his feet. Gilmore says, Martha chose occupation for the Lord over preoccupation with the Lord. <laughs> she wanted to feed him more than feed on him. She preferred to be around him more than look at him. So many have become fixated on that which is around Jesus rather than fixated on looking upon him. And it's a trap. It's a trap. Can I tell you, this is, it, it deeply concerns me. I I, I'm, really, um, I'm really concerned that the church today, it's more of a social club. It's a place that we go on Sunday morning and we check it off our list that we did it. I can't even tell you how much that grieves my heart. So many of us would testify that we know Jesus, but we don't know him. We know about him. Scripture says that we get deceived by the pride of our heart. We don't want to see it. We, we don't want to admit it. I was saying to Leslie this past week, I said, we make time for Facebook. We make time for Instagram. We make time to have coffee with friends. We make time to peruse the internet. We, we make time to read a, a novel. We make time to cook an elaborate meal. We make time to go shopping. We make time for our grandchildren. We make time for everything but Jesus. And yet we want to be counted in when that day comes. But we don't know anything about him. We know we've been to church on Sunday morning. Preacher, hurry up and get us out of here. I want to get to lunch. This is eternal life. That you know him. Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. Baby, I got to tell you, you got to be really familiar with somebody to do that. Special union. Pretty deep connection. And here's the thing. It's a work of grace. We can't even like... You say, well, we had such a works mentality. No, it's not. <laughs> I can get up and I can be intentional and get distracted. It's a work of grace that I even can know him. But I position myself. And I say, Lord, I'm not going to leave here till you grace me with a revelation about you. To you give me, to you let me see you like I've never seen you before. I want to know you better. Because I'm going to tell you, maybe your life is not hard. Maybe you got a peachy keen, honky dory, everything is great kind of life. I don't. To get through my next day, to have any kind of life at all, to have joy, to have peace, to have well-being, comes in knowing him. My mom used to say, position yourself under the spout where the glory comes out. That's the one thing that's needed. And he won't deny it. He won't deny it. We make time for everything else. Early will I seek you, Scripture says. 
in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, I cannot find what I need to quench my thirst, to dry up my, my to, to, to water my dry and weary land anyplace else. It only comes from you. Martha, Martha. You're worried and distracted by many things. Being drug away by the enemy, enticed out of my presence, enticed out of finding satisfaction in me. But Mary has chosen the one thing that's needed. And it won't be taken from her. I promise, when you get up and choose the one thing, it won't be taken from you. He'll honor it and he'll meet you in that place. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And no good thing will he withhold from those who love him. So as Megan comes to close out, I, I just want to pray with you. Because I'm mindful that we can't even work this up. It's, we, we tell our guys that we work with, they, they want to stop their sexual addiction, and, and, and many of them will just white-knuckle it. They'll, oh, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to do this. And that lasts about what, Dave? <laughs> a couple weeks before they can't do it anymore. You can't white-knuckle this. You can't say, i got to do it, i got to do it, i got to do it, i got to get up and be with Jesus. You, you can't. It, 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 you'll be able to do it for a couple weeks, maybe in a place of worship where you understand it, worship is worthship. You're assigning worth. You're saying, you are more valuable to me than anything else. It disturbs me. We, you know, Dave and I, pastor at Grace Church, it disturbs me when I see people walk in late to, to worship. Because what you're saying is, you're not worthy. <laughs> worthship. We're saying, I'm assigning worth to you, Jesus. Can I tell you? He is worthy of it all. He is our source of life. Do you understand that you're breathing because he has ordained it? <laughs> the next breath you take is a gift from him. You're, you're moving around because he ordained it. Leslie and I were talking about grandchildren and, and, and our, our children having children. And, and, and I said, God ordains life. He gives life. We don't, we don't work it. It's his choice to give life, to take life. The fact that we're sitting here is a gift from him. The fact that you have a job gift from him. The fact that you have money in the bank, gift from him. That's why don't rob him. <laughs> tithe and offerings. You, if you're not giving tithe and offering, the fact that you have a job is a gift from him. Give him back what he has due. He's worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. And so, Father, we just acknowledge that tonight. We thank you that you are the giver of life and we thank you that you have chosen to give us life for such a time as this, Lord God. 
that you ordained that we're here tonight, that you ordained this message, that all the days <laughs> ordained for us were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. Any good I have is because of you. I, I read this week, Lord, that you tell the lightning bolts where to strike. <laughs> it's awesome. That even lightning bolts don't randomly strike. That you tell the waves you can go this far and no farther. The waves of the ocean, Lord. That you hang the clouds in the sky. That the earth is spinning because you said spin. You've numbered the hairs on our head. You care about how many curly hair I have on my head. Jesus, you've engraved my name on the palm of your hand. Such knowledge is too lofty for me, Lord. Where can we flee from your presence? Where can we go from your spirit? If we go to the depths, there you are. <laughs> go to the heights, there you are too, Lord. You are worthy. And we worship you. Teach us what it means to sit at your feet. To learn of you. Not just from you. Jesus, I want to know you better. I want to know you better. Help me to not waste one day of my life. Put a fire, Lord, deep in every soul here. Fire that we can't contain and we can't control. Set us ablaze for you, Lord. Teach us to number our days. Help us to walk circumspectly, redeeming the days because they're evil, Lord. Make our life matter. Make it count for the kingdom. Help us to be kingdom advancers and world shakers for you, Father. Help us to know that before we were born, before we were born, before we were a thought in our mom and dad's mind, you knew us. And you put a call on our life that only we can fulfill. And we are busy fulfilling everybody else's calls, trying to measure up for everybody else, earn everybody else's respect. And, and, and Lord, before we were born, you knew us. And you placed a destiny in us that only we can fulfill. Help us, Lord, to not be distracted from that destiny. Keep our hearts set upon you, fixed on your glory. Give us to eyes to see you like we've never seen you before and hearts, Lord, that are softened to your presence. I pray for encounter. I'm asking, Father, for supernatural encounter. That's the problem with the church today. We're natural, 
But you are a supernatural God, and I'm asking right now for a release of the supernatural among your people. I pray, Lord God, for supernatural encounters. I pray for dreams. I pray for visions. I pray for supernatural encounters that people would not be able to deny your existence. Lord, that you would awaken our mundane, normal lives and that you would put us ablaze for you. I pray for miracles. I pray for signs and wonders. Lord, you have promised in your word that signs and wonders will follow those who believe. I believe and I'm expecting it, Lord. I'm expecting to see it. Not because I deserve it, but because your word says it. And the Lord, the word says that the Lord is faithful to all his words and he's kind in all his actions. So you're going to be faithful to your word. And your word says that signs and wonders will follow those who believe. I'm expecting to see it, Lord. I'm expecting to see it. I'm expecting you to release your glory in this house. Let it start here. Lord, we need revival. We need revival. We need encounter with you. Lord, this nation needs to see you high and lifted up. Let it start here in Milwaukee. Lord, I'm tired of every prophetic word being for Florida, being for California, being for other states in this nation. I'm asking for Wisconsin. I'm asking for Wisconsin. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and come and heal their land. I'm asking you, Lord. We are praying, we are humbling ourselves, and we are seeking your face. And I'm asking for you to come with power from on high and begin healing this nation in the state of Wisconsin. I believe every part of me believes that you are who you say you are. I'm going to tarry till I see it. I'm going to believe until I see it. And I'm going to knock and keep knocking till you answer. Awaken your people. Awaken me. We love you, Lord. And we give you glory. We give you glory and honor and praise, understanding you are the one thing we have need of. One thing. Help us to make time for the one thing this week, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.